Hey now. Yeah. Hey, hey now yourself. Hey's for horses. Heavy whole podcast is for you. It's Big Will, aka Uncle Buck, my esteemed colleague, Rick Habib, the Staten Island Don of Doom. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How you doing? Feeling okay out here. It's a little gloomy day, you know, little little rain, little little rainfall, little gray skies falling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got you there. Now, uh, welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast, man. We were just talking behind the scenes, Rick. Uh, you attended a concert recently. Yes, it was two nights ago. Religious experience. Mm, wow. Um, Kirk Franklin. I saw Iron Kirk, Maiden. Kirk Franklin. Or? <laughs> no, it was Iron Maiden again. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, for the fifth time and, and you know you would think i would have seen them more than five times uh at this point but uh for some reason i only saw them for the first time in 2008 but it's craziness but they were amazing again as usual okay saw them in um newark new jersey at the prudential center which is a bigger it was where the devils play big arena and um it was sold out to the rafters and the sound at that place was fucking great man and and you used to go to arena shows back in the day and or me and it would sound like shit right uh, that's that was the thing like i wouldn't want to go to an arena show because it would sound bad but the sound was so good man and, and uh, bruce was was really on man he sounded better than he had in, in years so the band was really locked in really good show wow um, and you were telling me before that this is the exact same setup and set list as what what other tour? Well, the set list uh, I was just comparing. It's it's called the Legacy of the Beast tour, and I guess it's the second part of it because the first part of it was 2018, 2019, and that's we I saw them in in Brooklyn on that tour on that leg, and then I guess COVID happened and they put a new album out in the means in between all that so this tour now has a bunch of songs the first three songs from the uh album they played and they opened with mm. and and those new songs were received very well as well so you think these legacy bands no no one wants to hear your new shit but the lights went out the new stuff came on and people were, were into it man that's the thing about maiden bro maybe that's people, the maybe that's the environment the the mm. The latest Iron Maiden album is not my favorite Iron Maiden album. Oh, right. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I mean, you know, to to many people, the 80s uh, Maiden output is the ultimate, which it is, you know, but there's uh, there's merits to all, uh, in my opinion, to all all their errors and and all their stuff. Um, Live, this shit comes off really good. I got to say, the last few years, I've grown an appreciation for Brave New World that I never had. It's a brilliant. I mean, that album. was the comeback, man. That was the great comeback album, uh, right out of the gate. I, yeah. I think when that came out, my attention was much more on underground death metal, and I wasn't as concerned with what the bigger bands from my childhood were doing. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't really still following right. Iron Maiden. I didn't really, right. you know, and uh, I didn't care what Judas Priest was doing at the time. Queensrÿche by that point had completely fallen off into dad rock, you know. So I was just kind of looking for the underground stuff. But now I'm rediscovering that. Not lo- not really rediscovering Queensrÿche Q2K though. I'm not really. I'm not interested. Sorry. What um, about here in the now frontier? Last album with uh, original guitarist Chris DeGarmo, so it, wow. I'll give it a pass. I do own That's it. That's weird. I do own Yeah, it is weird. It is, it's weird that that would be his last album and not the one before it. It's weird that like he overlapped into the dad rock era and then left. Mm-hmm. 
He's um, like, yeah, fuck that. I'll go fly planes, man. I mean, hey, you yeah. know, um, why not? It's probably. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to dig into Queen's Rex pockets, but um, they were open. They, I, I, we, we, we talked about this when Terrell was co-hosting with me a few weeks ago on the Frozen Soul episode, but uh, Queen's Rex was opening for Judas Priest. Kind of a short right. set. Like I, I was expecting a little bit more of a balance in the double headliner vibe and it was just straight up Queensryche playing a you know a, a a set of classics with a few new ones mixed in thanks a lot we're Queensryche and you know move mm. move aside it's time for the Judas Priest like I, I I get that Judas Priest has more draw this day and age especially with Rob Halford compared to Queensryche with a with a mainly new lineup but I thought Queensryche had a little bit more headliner power than that. I mm. thought they would balance it out a little bit more evenly. So And did they play any from the new album? They did. They okay, did, okay. yeah. They balanced it out, but it was it was a very greatest hits vibe in terms of their set list. It was like very you could tell that they knew the audience was Judas Priest fans, probably mainly people in their forties and fifties. Queensrÿche kept it very eighties and very okay. in the pocket. You know, they were they did Warning, they did oh, a, they okay. did a, they did a couple of Mind Crime hits. You know, they they kept it real. You know, an opening for Maiden was Within Temptation, the old um, Dutch symphonic kind of symphonic metal band that's been around forever they've been around since like 96 hmm. you know it, it, for maiden openers recently i mean all i've seen is is uh steve harris's daughter open and steve harris's son open and bruce dickinson's son open so to actually see you know a, a legitimate hard-working band that you know it's not really my thing but the vocalist was great. She's a good singer. And, you know, for, for, it was a good opener. You know, could have done worse, I guess. But uh, the, main, the main course was Maiden, of course, and uh, they, they don't disappoint. I saw Tony Bennett many years ago, my uncle, and he brought his, his daughter uh, was the opening act. She, mm. was, she was pregnant at the time. <laughs> She she could sing. She sang her ass off for. Right, I mean, I, sure. I I don't know what it's like to be pregnant. I know what it's like to have a huge stomach, but I don't know <laughs> what it's like to be pregnant and have another human being inside of that stomach. I can uh, only imagine it makes singing more complicated. So I'm giving her props. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's no nepotism in entertainment or anything of this nature. You know, these guys did. You know, it's all good, man. Hey, shit. I wish my father was in an uh, amazing metal band. I would I would have a lot easier path. The only nepotism that I really see is I'm trying to I'm trying to force the drumsticks into my five year old nephew's hands. I'm like, listen, about ten years, you're gonna need we'll to know you. the, you're gonna need to know some songs here. All right, right. I'm gonna rotate you right in. <laughs> Drummers are the hardest to come by, so I'm trying to start him young. That'll that'll be the buckshot facelift comeback we're all waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Big be sixty years old. Shout, yeah. shout this out, but listen, it's always a family affair. Another group. Of musicians where it's always a family affair uh canadian are they noise rock are they hardcore are they post this are they i don't try to box them in all right they might box you i'm talking about the brothers matheson jesse and shane um ken mode what does the name mean let's get to the bottom of it i'm gonna talk to jesse matheson of ken mode right now uh thank you to that gentleman very much for his time Yeah. 
I mean, it's been it's been a couple years, hasn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah. In terms of, uh, I, th- I think the last time I saw you might have been in, uh, was it Georgia when we played that that fest to, together in like 2015? I was an artificial brain, uh, I think. That sounds about right. It was like some sort of big um, mu- like music festival, and like it was, I think it was us and. Um, uh, maybe was it Municipal Waste or one of those bands? It was like the metal the metal show of some big festival. What was it down there? I don't. Uh, yeah. I think that was. Uh, I think I may have seen you since then. Actually, I think yeah. But you're you're referring to Hopscotch, I yeah. think, right? That was in North Carolina. That was 2014, if I recall correctly. And then I think I saw you like briefly at a show we did at. Uh, the Acheron in 2015, maybe, but I might be wrong. That might have been I, an earlier show. That sounds about right, but yeah, it's 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 been a minute, man. Either way, um, and and, and so before I, I like start the interview or anything like that, man. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for taking the time and um, kind of ex- explain what's going on. I, I've been, been interviewing a lot of people the last few years, and we just kind of do like a little biographical background and. Oh, what the fuck? Now someone's ringing my door. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'm just going to check this to make sure it's not something I need to address It's it's before we... Uh, it's my producer. ...into it. Sorry about this. It's oh, my... shit. My producer's at your door. Thank you. I'm at my folks' place because I have a... Uh, my office is out of their basement <laughs> and I locked them out of their house. <laughs> <laughs> Oh fuck. Okay, anyway. Now I won't get bothered. Sorry about that. No, no, it's all good, man. I um I I I am very close to my folks as as well. I know how it goes. I was actually It's uh, it's it's a nice thing, although sometimes uh when I'm around here all the time, it's it's stressful at other times, but I like having a good relationship with them. I I have a heated back and forth debate with my father about how best to cover his boat. Um, and, and, the, and the, we just don't see the eye to eye on that one thing, but, um, but that, that sounds like a classic. Well, while while we're talking about family, that's usually where we start off, man. So if you're comfortable, um, I was going to start the interview, uh, if you're ready to go. Yeah, let's dive in. All right, cool, man. Uh, I, I got your recording here. It seems like everything's ready to go. So while we're talking about the folks, um, quickly, what I always do also, man, uh, you know, I, I do my research and I got to credit, um, the, uh, uh, AXS TV, um, MMA feature that they did on you guys, <laughs> uh, exclaim TV, treble zine, capital chaos TV. I like Hugh YouTube channel. I do my research. Um, and, and obviously, uh, uh, discogs and Wikipedia and things like that. But I know from all those sources that you and your brother, Shane, um, you being Jesse Matheson of Ken Mode, by the way, for the listeners. We started off very casually. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Oh, thank you, thank you. The one and only. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Man. We started off real casual there. But um, And your brother being Shane Matheson, I know from those other interviews you've done that you guys started off playing piano from a very young age. Uh, I would guess your father's influence, right? Yeah, actually, mother and father, they both played piano, and I died. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's it seems like that's one of those old school things that certain cultures just really dragged along with them. I know my dad always jokes that he thinks there may be potential murderers in the family because they uh 
on the one side fled Scotland for the New World, but dragged a piano with them. And he's like, no one with piano money usually came to the prairies. Like, why would they leave home, right? <laughs> so that's where he theorizes that the, like, that's the side where the, the hot temper comes from, which is clearly uh, some of the manifestation that uh, we've uh, utilized in Ken Mode and, and why <laughs> there's clearly something wrong with us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's that, that musical side has always been there in the family, I, I guess, because they, they dragged a piano from the old world. So... Um, but yeah, both parents played piano, so Shane and I started uh, pretty young with like Royal Conservatory of Music stuff um, back, I guess I would have been five, and I think Shane was not even five when he started, which is pretty wild. And it's not like either of us really plays piano much anymore, but it's definitely transferable skills. Okay, and, and how did mom and dad feel about uh, like rock music in general, uh, not traditional music? Um, it's their fault. Their, my dad started all this bullshit by getting us tapes that at the time he felt maybe he was too old to be buying, but he wanted to listen to them, so he bought them for Shane and I for <laughs> Christmas. Nirvana in Euro. I remember listening to that the day after Christmas and something in my brain just went wrong and it's never gone right. <laughs> it's all his fault. Wow. So they, they better have a good relationship with that shit because it's all their fault. Wow. Okay, man. Right off the bat. And, and you and your brother Shane, are you a little bit older? Yeah, two years to the day. That's uh, also fucked up, right? That, well, that's interesting. All right, man. I, people who uh, who believe in the numbers and the astrology might have something to say about that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I always blame because the fact that my parents are both accountants, too, so go figure they'd have two kids on the same day two years apart. Oh, yeah, it just lines up better. I guess, <laughs> it makes the margins yeah. nicer. I like that. Um, <laughs> well, well, speaking of, you guys, you guys are both accountants yourselves, right? Uh, an ish on me. Shane is definitely like an accredited uh, for, well, now technically Canada copies the U.S. It's a CPA now. But historically, they used to have uh, three different divisions of designated accountants, and he was the highest kind, a chartered accountant, um, which is what my parents are. I, I do accounting, but I don't have an official designation. Uh, my, my degree was in more marketing and small business management, and I... I just kind of fell into accounting because it was an easy way to get work, <laughs> given that my whole goddamn family does it. Our family tradition. Well, that, that's the thing, because we talk from time to time to, um, to artists who have toured a lot about different things they've learned along the way in terms of professionalism and how to keep the band going on tour. And I, this is something that I don't think we've really touched on, is you guys kind of being um, accountants, uh, you know, whether by, by trade or tradition, we'll say, um, I imagine that has probably helped you a great deal keep Ken Mode from going into the red. Uh, so to speak, oh, you know, and, yeah. and being smart. I mean, I'm sure you've seen other bands um, that, that that are great people and that are friends of yours that just don't have those type of financial smarts and foresight, and you've seen mistakes they've made along the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's kind of, it's funny because, funny, not funny, uh, I almost feel like the school of punk rock is more useful uh, from a standpoint of keeping your band like with with the 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 your 
on the the rails, so to speak, simply because not having money and needing to get by without is one of the most important lessons anyone, at least in the Western world, can really experience, especially when people are so used to getting whatever the fuck they want, whenever they want, and it doesn't matter how much debt you go into, because nothing matters anyway, which I guess is a whole other existential path that we can take on this interview, but maybe not one that we want to do today. But uh, ultimately, I, I feel like the school of punk rock, like it's something that more people need to live. You need to experience sleeping on other people's floors because you can't afford a hotel room. And I don't know, I feel like maybe that's something that's lost on certain certain areas of a younger generation of musicians that the the indie part has fallen away from the indie, you know? Hmm. Like, it's, I know everyone, especially extreme music, like, we all kind of get it, because, like, it's it's a very niche market, and a, a lot of bands, you're not bred on making money. But, yeah, I just, I, it, there seems to be an awful lot of entitlement with a lot of musicians these days, where it's like, well, of course we have to get hotels. Of course. <laughs> Slow down. Can you afford that shit? Can you afford the gas? Jesus Christ. Anyway, no, I, I think you're you're absolutely right, and sometimes that's a distinction between the lifestyle bands, so so to speak, that maybe are on the road like eight to ten months a year, and the guys like a lot of my bands, we all have day jobs, and if we go out for a few weeks at a time, it's more like a vacation to us, so to speak, because we're not yeah. on that professional level. You know what I mean? Whereas when you're on that professional level, you really are looking at it as a as a professional thing, where you have to you know sometimes cut corners to make things work. Yeah, and I mean, we've kind of had our feet in both of those realms, too. Like, when we were at least starting to cut our teeth in the touring circuits, particularly in the U.S., where, like, the world knows you eat shit in the U.S. until you at least get a a following, if you can get a following, because it is one of the hardest markets to crack for anyone not living there or even living there. But, uh so we, we did the day job thing, taking time off to tour when we could, and then we went full-time for like five years, and now we're back to being a vacation band. <laughs> and we still, it's not like we want to lose money on tour, um, but we, we also, like, since becoming uh, owners of our own company to make a living, um, we're, we're a little... We, we treat things a little cushier than we used to on the road. Like, we became a hotel band after, like, 20 years, which, I gotta say, it's pretty nice. <laughs> it must be, man. Treat yourself. You've worked hard for it, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back. Like, let's on that note, let's talk about, like, some of the beginning, because the band started in 99, right? Goddamn long time ago. Uh, yeah, tell me <laughs> about it. Were you, prior to that, were you or Shane either in a band without the other one? No, no. We we started playing rock instruments together in 96, and I guess I would have been 15, him 13. And uh, it, it was, the, the lineup was the precursor to Ken Mode in 99 anyway. just We went by an, another name, and it kind of, went through different iterations and we, we wanted to get serious in 99 and that's when the Ken mode name and, and goal kind of locked in. Oh, I mean, I say goal. All we really wanted to do is play local shows with the, the bands that we looked up to at the time. 
Um, and you know how that goes. It starts to spiral out of control, and then all of a sudden you're, you're playing shows in Germany and eating shit and wondering why you're there. <laughs> but, well, f- just for the listeners, though, I think it does sound a little bit more like a goal because the the name of the band, for, for people who don't realize, you've, you've talked about this in prior interviews, it's a reference to Henry Rollins' book, Get in the Van, where he talks about kill everyone now mode. Uh, which is the the mind state you got to be in, I, you know, to 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 perform a show. I, I guess if if I got that right. Yeah, it was the the psychological state of mind they got into when they put my war out, where they'd been in a unable to put a record out for two years. I guess due to a, a record contract that they signed that they kind of got stuck in, and they were in legal battles, and they they were touring but couldn't put anything out and i know they took some time off from touring because they didn't have anything new to put out and they finally won the thing and they put my war out and hit the the road with like a ferocity that they hadn't had in the past and Rollins described it as ken mode kill everyone now mode and i mean when i was 17 i thought that was pretty cool and we <laughs> boy have we got flack for that over the years <laughs> well yeah i guess if you, if you haven't read the henry rollins book i mean it has a different connotation um but re- regardless though the, the mission being i mean it sounds like you were influenced at a very young age by that diy mindset that just tour and get out there type of mindset uh and then that book might have been an inspiration to you guys because you guys i you know i remember we were talking before uh we've crossed paths a lot in, in the past with different bands i've been i've been in and things and i remember seeing you guys i think it was the first time it was probably a basement show all the way upstate yep. new york somewhere with um, american yep, heritage I that. and yeah there was a anodyne f- mm-hmm. biolich you guys back then yeah that was where was that albany i think it was albany i think yeah, it was like in the suburbs of albany there in a basement yeah and dead dead death was the was uh the band that had i think they broke a tv or something um <laughs> but i I'm, i just bring that up to speak to that diy mindset and getting out there and playing the house shows and things like that i want to talk about those early days when you guys got out there um you know prior to putting out mongrel uh, do, does anything stand out? You, like, you, did you guys really do some like eat shit tours and uh, DIY tours and play some grungy spots like that? Oh, we've done so many, uh, and it wasn't even really prior to Mongrel. I guess we we did like one proper tour prior to Mongrel. We went out with that band, The End, that was on Relapse Records. Yes, um, we did the uh, a West Western Canadian run with them for like two weeks uh, in two thousand two which was before Mongrel came out in 2003. And then we did a... I, I guess it wasn't technically a DIY tour because Gordon Conrad at uh, Relapse slash Escape Artist actually booked the thing for us because we, we didn't know anyone. We'd never been to the States. Um, we got in there using the old fake recording contract scheme that everyone used to play in the pre-internet days of touring. Um, and we just we did like a loop of... I don't think we got to the West Coast on that one, but we did a, a good loop of the U.S. all the way down to Texas, where we met the Kill the Client guys. Wow. Uh, went up wow. the East Coast. It was a, a wild time. We definitely did not know what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> um, oh. It's funny th- looking back on those those days and, and thinking about the band we were versus the band we are now. 
Well, it's, you, you've had a long time to, to build and to learn. Now, I got to go back to one thing you said for the listeners. I kind of, I kind of, I don't know the particulars, but I can imagine what this was. You said allegedly the old fake recording contract scheme before the internet days to get into the. the <laughs> could you break that down as much as you you feel comfortable doing for the listeners? Because that 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 sounds interesting to me. Because like getting into the U.S., you've always needed to have a work permit. Um, the U.S. is particularly sticky with that shit. So uh, I know a lot of Canadian bands used to claim that they're coming down to record an album with an American producer, which technically you, you don't need to have a work permit for. Mm. Um, and back then, they'd present these contracts saying that this is what they're coming to do. And because no one used the Internet, no one checked up on any of that stuff. Nowadays, like, it. it Pulling a scam like that is, especially if your name is attached to your band, like good <laughs> fucking luck. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because they can take the whole tour itinerary is right there on your social media. Yeah, and I mean it's it's pretty hard to scrub that stuff. I know. We kind of after the actually after the tour that we met you guys on in 2004, we didn't go back to the states for another. Six years after that, we went through a bit of a weird period where we didn't really have a bassist for a long time, and it just didn't seem worthwhile. And by the time we actually kind of made the decision that we wanted to to start touring a lot and and see if we could make a go of of the band and make it what we believed it could be, we decided to go back. And the first and only thing you can do as a Canadian band is you got to tackle the beast. Because if you don't tackle the beast, why would anyone care about you? So, oh, oh, wow. um, in, in leading up to trying to put our venerable record out, we, we got work permits. We started doing a couple runs of the U.S. We recorded a record at Kurt's studio in Salem, Massachusetts. And then we just kind of started putting all the pieces together to try and become a full-time band. And that, that was a, a pretty wild time in itself, as much as I'm fast-forwarding like five years. But... Um, yeah, work permits is, if, if you don't want to screw things up and screw your life up, that's kind of the only way to go. Yeah, you talked a little bit about that um, in in one interview. You actually th- something you just said, um, and unfortunately, I don't I don't say this to gloat, but you say you got to tackle the beast, meaning the United States market. I I've read a book called Metal on Ice by uh, Sean Kelly, who's a bit of a studio musician who's performed with uh, Helix and some some other bands, and and this and this book tells the story of not just Canadian like uh, '80s hair metal musicians, but it goes into some of the more extreme bands too and a, a big theme throughout the book is how much these bands have to fight uh, and work so hard to tour throughout Canada which touring in Canada is a different experience than the states and have to to fight to get notoriety in the United States just to be recognized on their home turf have you have you so you've obviously I guess found a little bit of that yourself yeah definitely I mean Canada like all the major cities that are worth playing are largely scattered along the border and obviously the border is very wide. Um, as the U.S. goes north, it just keeps getting wider, and that's kind of the reality of, of where we are from. Like, we're in Winnipeg, which is right in the middle of Canada, and the closest, like, city that we can play that's a proper city, at least in our country, is like an eight- or nine-hour drive away. The closest city in Canada that has a million or more people is a 15-hour drive away. 
and the closest U.S. city that has a million or more people is like a seven-hour drive away, and that's Minneapolis. So there's really nothing that's particularly close to us. Um, so that's kind of the, the first big hurdle to to trying to do anything with your band when you're from a place that we're from. And obviously, like, if you're going to play a place like Minneapolis, you should get a work permit, which for a three-piece band, oh, granted, we're a four-piece now, but for a three-piece band that usually historically costs like $1,200 to $1,500. So um, it's it's no small feat. you got to be serious that you want to go down there and play enough shows to even make that money back, let alone all the gas and blah, 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 being a band, right? Wow. Um, but in terms of like recognition in Canada versus the States, yeah, the, the truth of the matter is a lot of the time, if you aren't in a city like Toronto, a lot of the time Canadians won't pay attention to you unless you're, you're doing something in the U.S. And even then, sometimes they just don't. The industry will like pretend like you're doing something. But yeah, it's, it's been a, a weird ride for us. We, we got, I think we got a decent amount of Canadian support from certain journalists, at least in the legit metal community, because of our connection to very specific Americans. So really the, the, the long and short of that is, yeah, getting in the right circles in the U.S. will set you up far better in Canada than trying to just go after Canada. That's very interesting um, insight, and it's it's interesting to me too because I'm from New York here, obviously, and a Canadian label uh, has probably done the most for my career as as a, an artist. <laughs> Profound Lore Records, um, shout out to Chris Bruni, uh, who you've you've worked with in the past too. So it it kind of goes both ways in in an interesting way. But um, speaking speaking to the bigger market, I definitely see what you mean. Um, and you guys have and the, the funny. Not to, to interject, uh, the funny thing about Bruni and his label is that um, putting our record out, because we had a bit of a, a, a history with publications like Exclaim, one of his reasons for wanting to work with us is he wanted to get a band that would get acknowledged in Canada to give his label some acknowledgement in Canada, which is funny because then he put out our record and then we won a fucking Juno with it. So, like... It worked for him, but yeah, it was the same situation. We're like, his label was internationally recognized, but no one in Canada, in the industry, gave a shit or gave him any respect. Wow! Oh, so it's still the same principle, even. Well, that's that's um that, that, that that's interesting. It's and you and you mentioned the Juno. I mean, what was that like? Uh, that that must have been huge, uh, coming from the background you're coming from and the type of music you're playing to all of a sudden have this mainstream recognition. And maybe just for our listeners, if you could describe uh, what a Juno means in Canada uh, as an artist yeah. to receive. A that. Juno's basically like winning a Canadian Grammy, which I know to an American sounds fucking stupid. <laughs> so, and and we, we know what this thing is and what it's worth for a band in our world. It's... It's funny flirting with, like, a mainstream award like that, but, like, let's be real, it's not going to bring us mainstream popularity. Um, it, it, it's something cool to, to tell your parents, and it, it gives you, a, a like, a, a tiny flash in terms of a little bit of exposure, but, like, 
it, it really doesn't mean that much. I tried to turn it into a way to get as much Canadian grant funding as I could, which I think worked out pretty okay for the subsequent years that we were attempting to continue touring full-time. Like, I do know that we got access to a specific program that has since changed now, but we didn't really deserve the program, but I'm pretty sure that the Juno got us in the door there, and we basically bought a van with the money that I applied for. So uh, I can't complain about that. That's uh, definitely some Canadian privilege there because we, we basically spent that whole year just touring the States over and over and over again. And <laughs> Canada's giving me money. <laughs> I love it. Hey, man, that's great, though. I, you know, we hear all the time, I you know, I don't associate Canada so much, but growing up we would always hear how bands in the Scandinavian countries uh, were getting grants yeah, and, yeah. you know, all this sort of like death metal and black metal bands over there. So, And, you know, more power to you, man. It's just not... Um, my, my local township, I don't see it happening here, you know? Yeah. And the funny thing is like, you don't, you never heard about that in the metal community from Canadians because for the longest time, metal didn't really get any funding in Canada. And that's actually, uh, I, 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 this may seem cocky, but I feel like I changed some of that within the last, when did I start working at this? Like 2016? was when Shane and I stopped touring full-time and we, we started working on MKM Management, which is like a, a business management and accounting and tax company that we primarily work with artists. So what I started doing then was, because of my experience with the Canadian granting systems, I a lot of it was just straight stats-based. So I picked up on the fact that like they have these pockets where you're basically guaranteed funding if you can get your shit together. And I knew a lot of the Canadian metal bands had the stats that were like better than a lot of the indie bands that were milking this system. So I started working with bands like Gore Guts and Despised Icon and um, what are some other ones that I worked with early on? Anyway, those are a couple really good examples of, of groundbreaking Canadian bands, and I started getting them tour support money, which, like, they never thought in a million years that death metal would get funded by Canada. But here we are. That's really interesting to me, man. So, uh, like, in... in, in and working with these bands, um, what are like some 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 other things that come up that bands commonly don't think are available to them, or things that bands don't even think of or plan for? Like maybe even if we could try to turn this into like you know a couple of quick tips for bands um, when they're looking at their finances. They just sold a bunch of shirts, or they have a good album coming out. You know. Oh man, I mean, it depends on whether people actually are treating it like a business in the first place, right? Um, some of the, the major first steps that we end up needing to get bands heads wrapped around is like just even registering a business, um, which for a lot of the programs that we work with in Canada, like you have to be a registered business. You have to have a business bank account. Like you, you need to be doing some of the things and playing the game with the tax side to be able to access a lot of the programs. And even just in terms of, uh, like smaller bands like a not canadian specific like if we're targeting like americans that want to start taking their bands more seriously i'd suggest getting like a limited liability partnership um getting a band bank account like keeping track of this stuff because then 
you're not fighting over these things in the end. And there, there's plenty of situations where like bands end up getting nailed for uh, with things like the IRS going through people's bank statements and seeing all this money coming in, and they can't really explain what's going on because they don't keep track of anything. Um, and, and in most cases, like bands are spending more money than they're actually making, but like they don't have anything to show for it because they're not actually keeping track of it. And in terms of keeping things organized, some of the best techniques that we've found is like just even simple shit like spreadsheeting it, keeping track of your expenses, keeping track of your cash, counting cash, depositing as much as you possibly can. Um, Stupid shit like getting band credit cards, so all expenses for the band are just going through those, so you're not dipping into your personal funds, and it just becomes so messy when every bandmate is paying for things and they're getting reimbursed. If you're not keeping track of that, that just turns into a mess. So we're we're very pro like create the band business, get a bank account, get a band credit card. Put everything through that shit so you know all the ins and outs of those accounts are band-related. No bullshit, and it's pretty easy to reconcile that all at the end of the year. Is that a mouthful? No, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, I hope uh, you know. I, I know I was taking a few notes, and I hope the listeners were were in young, <laughs> you know, bands starting out themselves. Seriously though, man, word to the wise, uh, it pays off. And you know, when you're when you're making all those t-shirts and the sweatpants and whatever else you want to sell at the merch table, um, write it like you said. Just get a little notebook and start writing it all down, and keep track of things, and um, try yeah. to build on that. Build, you know, build on it as much as you can. And it, it, to, as seriously as you take it, it'll take you seriously back in terms of the scene you know and the and the market they're in and a big thing is like if you have the question find someone that you can get some answers from like it, it's so much better to set the stuff up properly in the first place than to have the volume increase beyond your ability to control it and have to hire someone to clean up a mess because cleaning up messes costs five times more than doing it right in the first place. So it it always helps. Like, and as much as my brother and I don't necessarily like needing to walk people through these things, we do it because we acknowledge that like, (laughs) we'd rather not clean up a mess in five years. That's five years deep, right? Where the band, someone haphazardly registered something and they haven't filed five years worth of tax returns. And like at that point, you're going to be dealing with a fucking horrible mess. So do it right the first time. Know what you got to do. Ask questions. All right, man. That's that right there. That's that's great advice, uh, especially if there's some younger artists listening to the show. And nowadays with death metal, I mean, you have bands coming out of nowhere and blowing up. Um, there's bigger labels that are kind of like poaching these younger indie labels, for lack of a better term. Um, so yeah. you know, you never know who's gonna blow up or what, man, um, or who, who's gonna be able to make a couple of quick bucks doing something cool. Uh, so, so that's that's definitely good advice. And now, get now getting back to Ken mode. Um, you guys, you mentioned like, you know, for a few years, you guys made a real, uh, a go of it trying to tour as a full-time job. Um, I've heard you reference 2010 to 2016 as being the main time period when that was. And we talked yeah, about, yeah. Pro- we talked about profound lore before in the album, uh, venerable, which that was your yeah. first time working with Kurt Ballou, right? Yeah. 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 We, uh, we knew if we wanted to do this full-time, we needed to link up with a label, 
that was going to at least be able to get us some attention. And we figured working with a producer that has a bit of a name outside of our city, outside of our comfort zone was probably a good thing to, again, just try to attract a little bit of attention to us. Cause like what we're an obscure noise, rock metal, hardcore band from Winnipeg, like trying to break into the U S again, why should anyone give a shit? Right? So we were trying to give people reasons to give a shit. And I, I, there are times that I definitely take for granted the fact that people did start paying attention because, like, there's no reason that anyone needed to. <laughs> I mean, our records are good and stuff, but there are a lot of good bands, right? <laughs> well, th- th- I mean, I, that, that's that's your opinion. I, 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 but it sounds like a very uh, well-thought-out plan, and that's why I brought all that up in one breath at the beginning there because it's like profound lore... Um, for you guys, it's a new label. Kurt Ballou, obviously, a very professional look in terms of production, a step up. And it seemed like that album maybe, you know, you guys had always been hard. Um, I consider, you know, in my personal opinion, Reprisal to have been a particularly aggressive, extreme uh, record in nature. And then to come back with Venerable, it seemed like you guys were almost dipping into black metal and uh, other types of stuff uh, at, at that point. Was that all a conscious decision? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's it's funny, sometimes <laughs> the labels that we're working with also create this like feedback loop, because we linked up with Bruni to put out that record before we were even finished writing it. So I, I definitely started to delve into their back catalog, and it started to, to influence some of the chord choices. Um, yeah, was, I mean, we're, at the time that we were making that record, I do remember that we were my goal was to attempt to encapsulate the general vibe that we'd been doing on our first three records and like make the best version of us at the time to kind of summarize what the first 10 years of the band had been about. And then we could kind of move forward from there, which I don't know. I I think it was a, a, a very good attempt at that. And, uh, I definitely do know that, like, stylistically, we've... I mean, we've changed with every bloody record, so I don't know whether it's fair to necessarily say that, like, we moved on from the first portion of the band's career. Like, whatever. We do that every fucking record. Well, you know, from, from a distance, I you know, I could see the, the, the logic in that. I could see what you're saying. And like I said, that album... Um, especially, you know, we typically cover a lot of the, the, the grimier death metal and gore grind and stuff. So if the listeners, uh, if there might be a listener out there who's looking for a good starting point for Ken mode, maybe venerable is, is there's a lot of death metal and black metal, maybe crossover, uh, there in terms of the vibe. And with what you said about the, 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 the label, like, you know, digging into the history of the label and the vibe of the label and, um, some of, some of that affecting when you go to the next album in trench, you guys start working. Working with Season of Mist, um, is is there any is there any way that working with Season of Mist affects the band and the vibe of that label and the history of that label? Does that affect your um, your output? I don't know. I don't really feel like it did necessarily. That one was more. I know when we started writing it out, I, I definitely was looking to make it a little bit more faster and a little more punk. But at the same time. Every time we write a record, it, it's 
it's a, a function of the people that are writing it. And we, it's no secret that we went through a number of bases for a number of years. And it, it, the <laughs> entrenched record was definitely the chemistry that we had with Andrew LaCour, uh, bouncing ideas off each other. Um, cause there were certainly a number of songs that I'd written on my own that then when he came to write bass lines for some of the guitar parts, it completely changed the vibe when historically, if I would have written a bass line, it would have turned out a certain way. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like season of mist necessarily influenced that because I, we actually recorded that record before we even signed with them. I think we kind of expedited the, the process of, getting a deal and then releasing it because we just wanted to keep touring and touring and touring. And uh, it's funny looking at the way the industry is now, even just 10 years ago, where we finished the production of Entrench probably later October of 2012, and it was out by March, which I remember for a, taking that step to the next level up to a larger label, and I remember them telling us, like, we need at least six months from delivering the masters to the actual release day. And that was kind of like, holy shit, like that's a long wait. And nowadays it's like at least nine or 10 months because of vinyl delays. Yeah. So it's just funny how things keep changing with all this. Yeah. You guys have seen it um, change a lot. And, and now well, speaking of that, that kind of brings up some too, because starting out in 99, um, putting out your your first few albums throughout the 2000s and then seeing how things are, you guys have really seen the CD era of the early 2000s and then you've seen cassettes and vinyl come back into fashion <laughs> in this type of music. I mean, you've kind of you've kind of seen it all. You know what I mean? And like when you first started out, it was still normal for bands to have cassette demos still, like in the late 90s. That was yeah. you know yeah. that, that that hadn't all gone away yet. You know, we had we had a cassette demo. We're also at the very beginning of the the CDR demo generation yeah, too, yeah. where people really weren't doing that much because, like, not a lot of kids had that technology. So, yeah, it's uh, to go through that and then through the the dawn of the MP3, and now we're firmly in the streaming era where it's all streaming and largely vinyl, where CDs are almost dead but i guess people still buy them i mean i still buy them i prefer cds at this point but yeah it's 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 been a wild ride it's 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 cool that i mean the streaming shit normalized people paying for music again it's just too bad that no one's actually getting compensated worth a shit <laughs> yeah yeah well from your guys perspective um having some accounting smarts uh I, I mean, when you look at a, a business model like Spotify from an artist perspective, it's kind of dismal. Yeah, big time. Especially small bands. Like, I get that it's a good way for you to get known, having basically a free, for lack of a better term, free-ish way for people to access your music. But there needs to be some sort of movement in the underground to completely normalize buying physical product again. Because I think that's the only way smaller bands are going to be able to survive at all or even remotely recoup. Because if you're the type of band that, even if you're not putting a ton of money into a recording, but like if max you're going to be one of those bands that are the size of like getting maybe a couple thousand people a month checking you out on Spotify, like that is not going to help you recoup on that recording <laughs> expense. Like if people aren't buying any physical products, you're fucked. 
And I mean, like, we're in one of those pockets where we generally can fluctuate anywhere between, like, I don't know, 10,000 to 30, 35,000 people listening to us in a month. And the numbers we're getting are not going to help us recoup. And, like, obviously there are levels to all this shit. We're still pretty, like, small beans in terms of bands that get listened to on streaming. But, like, clearly we're not, like, a small band, per se. I guess everything you take into context, but, like, it's just wild the different levels of this game. Yeah, man. And, and well, in your travels, I mean, having won a Juno Award, having played some of these more prestigious music festivals, um, things like that, I'm sure you guys have uh, been, ex- you know, experienced things and been exposed to, like you've said, higher levels. Uh, have you ever interacted with, like, quote-unquote celebrities and, and uh, really famous uh, musicians that maybe we'd be a little bit surprised to, 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 to learn that you've interacted with or seen? Famous ones, probably not. Not really. I mean, we're not big on bugging anyone that we don't have any reason to. So we <laughs> we have played some festivals that, like, some of the big rock stars have played. But, like, we've never made any point to really even attempt to go talk to them. Because, like, what the, what the fuck would they want to talk to us? And, frankly, like, I don't really want to talk to them. I'm, I'm, I'm not big on idol worship, so... Um, even, even people that like, I do kind of get starstruck by, I don't necessarily even want to have a conversation with them because what do I really have in common with them? <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. Maybe that's mildly defeatist, but like, <clears throat> I'd, I'd rather just appreciate their art than feel the need to like become friends with them or something. Well, no, yeah, that that you're probably better off in that instance, man. Um, so I know a lot of people who've met some of their favorite artists and they, 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 they can't look at the music the same way. Um, yeah, you know, you that never... shit's tricky. And that's part of what I like about like metal and punk and all that. Like, if you buy into your own hype and you're from this community, fuck you. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Like, we all grew up playing local shows and just becoming friends with the bands that we used to look up to. And if you think you're above that shit, fuck you. That's all I got to say. Agreed, a hundred percent, man. I'm not gonna name any names, but they're out there in every in every scene. Um, yeah. Well, well, here's okay. Well, to 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 shift gears a little bit, because here's something um, I want to talk about, maybe a little bit more fun. I mentioned in the beginning um, the uh, AXS Access TV MMA feature they did on you guys. Um, where you talked about martial arts, uh, and you know people could see that on YouTube. But you talked about how when you and your brother were kids, a uh, fascination with pro wrestling um, turned into a fascination with comic books, and that led to martial arts. Where I want to start with this though is in Winnipeg, Canada. When you were growing up, was there a big professional wrestling culture? Uh, I, I mean, there's always been one here. I feel, um, like the Western Canadian connection, Canada in general has a bit, has always yeah. kind of had a big pro wrestling presence, at least like Quebec and Western Canada. I mean, there's no secret that a couple of the biggest wrestlers in the world with, uh, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega being from Winnipeg. Um, there's always been a scene here. I, I never particularly had anything to do with the wrestling scene here. Um, I mean, shy of being a kid that loved it and going to see, like, WWE um, back when I... God, I must have been, like, 6 through 10 or something. And then getting back into it in the Attitude Era. And 
I, I, I still follow it peripherally. I, I'm not like a diehard, but I, I, I consider myself a Reddit follower of pro wrestling at this <laughs> point. Yeah, I I call myself a nostalgic fan. You know, I, with 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 all the music I'm into, it's, it would be hard to follow a current uh, wrestling narrative and wrestling scene. But I'll always have a lot of love yeah. for the old days, man. So, um, and then you know, and then you guys said it said comic books. I just wanted to get your take on comic books. Uh, what was what was big for you guys growing up? Oh man, when 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 we got into that, granted, I I. I honestly didn't follow comics in it for a very long period um but like when i got into it x-men were a huge thing all the different like x-factor things like deadpool and cable and then i know the image comics boom happened right around when i got into comics too with spawn and savage dragon and pit and the max uh a lot of those were were, were my jam when i got into that and uh Comic books got foiled the moment I got that goddamn Nirvana tape. After that, it was all music all the time. Yeah, very similar to me and Dungeons and Dragons and comic books. As soon as I got into underground death metal, I was like, "That's that's for kids, Holmes." Um, yeah, but now I don't have time for anything else. <laughs> I want to be in a band. Everything I do has to do with this. Well, let me let me pick your brain about one thing because you mentioned X Men. I got to ask you: ha, being a kid in Canada, was Alpha Flight, the the Canadian version of the X Men, a thing? Was that was that bigger over there? You know, it was it was basically like it was published by Marvel, and it was supposed to be the Canadian X Men, Alpha Flight. I don't remember it at all, other than probably from the uh, the Marvel cards. So, see, it's, yeah. the, it's the same thing from the rock bands to the to the superhero teams. Man, they got to fight for that recognition, man, against us down yeah. here. Yeah, all right. So they really do. Although, although there was always that Canadian pride that Wolverine was supposed to be from Canada. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Alpha Flight was like expanding on his background or something, man. But let me yeah, let, let me yeah. not let me not show my uh, my roots too much here as a comic book nerd. Um, but. but but so so moving on the martial arts thing. Do you um are you or you and your brother or one of you? Do you guys practice martial arts yourselves at any point in your life? I do. Yeah, I've okay. been doing Muay Thai since. God, I started in 2007 at 25 years old, and I still do it. Actually, you want a, a funny story aside from that uh, Access TV thing? Uh, because I did that on tour, and I wasn't really in shape to do it. I tore my cartilage in my hip, a labral tear on my right hip, hmm. shooting that scene. <laughs> uh, and that's something that doesn't ever heal without surgery. So I've been trying to compensate uh, by doing rehab, basically, for the last seven years because of shooting that thing on tour. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. Sucks. <laughs> that's my <laughs> life i had uh yeah after doing that it felt like someone knifed me in the hip and that lasted for like the rest of the tour and we were on an eight week tour on that one so i had to uh figure out my life when i got back and how to make it so i wasn't in chronic pain um and actually i re-injured it this year uh, after shooting our music videos and then going right back into training and, and not being in very good shape. So, yeah, martial arts and music can be a dangerous combo sometimes. 
Wow, man. Yeah, I was going to ask you how it's helped you <laughs> with the touring and the lifestyle. It sounds like it's just more more be- getting beat up, man. I used to think that it had helped me a lot, like especially in the conditioning side of things, but um it's it's hard to kind of wrap my head around all that since the pandemic because that totally ripped apart the martial arts community here. My gym splintered all the different people that I used to train with have gone to different places because the, the culture is just a real, in terms of like communities embracing conspiracy theories, uh, they're one of the worst and it's been pretty brutal dealing with that. And I kind of, a lot of the people that I used to be closer with, I, I have nothing to do with anymore, which kind of just sucks. And to boot, I'm not really in very good shape anymore, which also blows. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really leaning hard on the, the music community uh, to, to fix my brain a little bit this year, getting out there and getting to hang out with people who don't suck. <laughs> the music community has been good for that. Uh, I've, I've always found, man, I, it's, it's, it's been a rough couple of years. Um, and speaking to that, maybe to, to, to shift gears back to music, um, your, your latest album, Null, uh, I, you know, I've heard you describe in several other interviews about the fact that the right at the beginning of the pandemic, the collaborative writing process was obviously, uh, slowed down for you guys. Um, and you wrote a lot of the material on this album on your own and then later on brought it to your brother, um, and the rest yep. of the band before the recording. I don't know if you want to, was that like the first time, um, or the first time in a long time that you were more in charge of the writing process and it wasn't as collaborative yeah big time uh it's the most the least collaborative i think that we've been since probably venerable actually um and even then we we wrote it in the jam room like venerable um i just so happened to come up with a lot of the bass lines on that material um but but with this one it almost felt like going back to being in high school and recording all my own material on a four track where I was playing drums, guitar, bass, and vocals. Cause that's basically what I was teaching myself to do only on a computer. Now, uh, I taught myself MIDI programmed drums, picked, grabbed one of my brother's old electronic kits that was just picking, like collecting dust in a bag. I put it together in my little, production room and plug that into the MIDI interpreter and it's the first time I've really played drums in over 20 years and uh, I, I just pieced a lot of material together that way like riff by riff part by part it allowed me to really mess around with synthesizers a lot and, and incorporate them in a way that actually worked with our guitar and bass work um, yeah and then uh, once I had these songs and I taught them to Shane and he dunked on all my drum parts and we kind of moved forward from there. Yeah. And it's, um, it's interesting that you, you brought up venerable because I was going to bring that up too. just, you know, having reviewed the catalog the last day or two, getting ready for this interview, it struck me that Noel was maybe the most, you know, I would say quote unquote black metal or quote unquote, like brutal and extreme metal kind of, uh, feel since venerable. Um, is there, would you see that kind of similarity in, in the vibes of the two albums? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, some of it is almost even just the density of it all, and I think that may be the uh, 
the synth work that I incorporate into it that 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 helps drive that home. It's also, I don't know, just it, it's a much more deeply personal record, and and that might be also what's pulling out some of the darkness. I do feel like in terms of black and death metal, like our our record before that loved a lot of the guitar parts was leaning into that territory, but I don't necessarily know if people picked up on it the way that maybe I had intended. Um, I also feel like, no, we did a lot more industrial work, like just in terms of, like I, I was for some reason obsessed with Nine Inch Nails for like the entire like first half of the pandemic. And it kind of coincided with me diving into trying to learn how to use a couple different Moog synthesizers that I picked up. So there's definitely an influence of that going into it too, like Nine Inch Nails, Swans, and Strides and New Bouton. I, I was just listening to a lot of like early industrial and noisy shit like that that I just wanted to try and work out through our material. And because it was just me that was toiling away here, I, I I had free reign to kind of do what I wanted there. All right, yeah, I was going to ask about that because I've seen it compared to some of those industrial artists, and um, you know, I I've always been fascinated with with writing process in general. If it's a collaborative effort, uh, you can tell sometimes who's had their hands in it. Whereas if it's that very streamlined process and it's only one or two people. Um, sometimes you get a, a different depth uh, uh, to it. And now I understand you guys actually took the opportunity to record two albums, so there's a whole other album yeah. besides Null, I guess, sitting on the shelf, right? Yeah, we got Null and Void. <laughs> got okay, okay. Yeah, and, yeah, and Null turned out to mostly be made up of material that was written in 2020, so that was when I didn't really have the ability to play with my bandmates shy of uh on that one lost grip scott and i wrote together when he came to winnipeg like late summer when they were starting to allow some like inter-provincial travel because he lives in saskatoon uh which is a province over from us and it's like a eight and a half hour drive um and then he also wrote the tie with me that originally we were just messing around on my synths and and we put that together and i decided to make a song out of it because i thought it sounded badass so um but most of the the songs that we wrote together are actually on the next record which is also kind of funny i think we did an inverse each each album is eight tracks and on null i wrote six of them and we collaborated on two of them and on the next one six of them were band like full band collaborations and two of them were songs that I wrote on my own. Okay, and the, the same way you're, you're bringing up um, these kind of industrial artists uh, and we're talking about the, the feel of it being very dense and layered, is there anything you want to talk about with Void um, in terms of you know, just thematically uh, where, where it might go or is the sound all in all different? Was there a certain targeted sound of it? Yeah, in that a lot of the material was coming together more in 2021. There's a deep sense of disappointment on that one. Hmm. And and that's the vibe that was definitely coming out of me. There's almost like a melancholy uh, in some of the melodies that are coming out. And, and maybe that's also one of the differentiating factors of it all, is that there is some minor melody going on, as opposed to Null's considerably more noisy and frantic 
from that respect, very depressing. And when I say frantic, I don't necessarily mean like the actual like speed of the songs are necessarily frantic, but some of those slow jams on that, I feel like the actual vibe that it's giving out is like a frantic, miserable viewpoint of what's happening in the world whether it's at like the the 10 minute slow jam with lost <laughs> grip but it's still i feel like the vibe in itself is kind of just this beaten frantic feeling yeah um well fair enough and and here's one question i wanted to get out too was is that is that the first album where you used a saxophone no uh we actually Catherine, who plays saxophone and now does synthesizer and piano for us live, she played on three tracks on our loved record too. Got and it. That's that's when we started to get that that desire to expand on our sound. Because I, when we wrote Loved, I'd been listening to a lot of jazz, and I just I feel like it's it's such a violent sounding instrument. So we. Uh, which actually even meeting Catherine is a, a weird roundabout story too, because she got in touch with Shane and I when we were actually starting our MKM uh, music business side of things because she was looking to break into providing business services in the music industry too as a musician. Um, and at the time, we didn't really have capacity to, to work with another person. And within a couple weeks of us meeting her, I did a shout out on Facebook looking for a saxophonist to work with us on our next record. And she kind of piped up, um, guys, I actually have a, a music degree from the university of Brandon in saxophone. <laughs> like mm. what, what? So we, uh, we got together with her jammed a little bit and we ended up having her on that record. It's just, uh, we didn't really have enough work for her to do to take her on tour on that one, so we sampled her <laughs> and used the sample live. But when I started writing all this material with Null and utilizing all these synths, I'd, I ran the idea by her if she was interested in becoming like a live member of the band, and, and she jumped at the opportunity. So as a result, we... we expanded on all the additional instrumentation and and her job is pretty interesting live she's jumping from synth to piano to saxophone back to synth it's a it's a bit of a wild ride for her but we we really looked out lucked out in the fact that she's a very talented multi-instrumentalist that's yeah that's great man that's very uh, good to have somebody who's versatile coming on board like that and you if I'm not mistaken, in Trench, the 2013 album was the first where you incorporated piano parts. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's something, that obviously, since Shane and I played piano since we were children, it's always something I've respected, and I love when people can utilize it properly in extreme music. But even on In Trench, I kinda, I, because of the way we wrote those songs, I felt like any additional instrumentation felt like an afterthought, like we were trying to put it in in the studio. Mm. And I, I feel like... With this material on Null and Void, we're finally doing it properly. So, and I think that's part of why people are reacting to the use of these instruments the way they are with this record so far, because it's it's meant to be there. <laughs> Fair and meant to be, man. It's a great way to put it, man. Well, you know, I um, 
Uh, I appreciate you being so uh, generous with your time, man. Uh, you know, as as we wind down, uh, I just want to remind the listeners: you are going to be going on an, one of your extensive tours uh, that you guys do with Frail Body uh, in support, right? Yeah, yeah, we're leaving for that on Wednesday, which is going to be wild. Um, I haven't even been down to the U.S. in three years, which. I mean, even when we're not touring, I like to take vacations down there because I, I always said when we were touring full-time that I want to be able to come through and hang out with our friends when I'm not on tour. So I, like, finally got to a place in my life where I can start doing that, and then the fucking pandemic hit. Like, mm. God damn it. So it, it'll just be nice to get to go down there and eat barbecue and tacos and hang out with people. <laughs> yeah, man, go That's on. honestly... Like, I don't give a shit about playing shows. I just want to eat tacos and barbecue and hang out. <laughs> Go, going on tour is always fun, man. I notice you guys, you know, for the listeners, late October through November, you could look it up. Um, for our local listeners, you guys are going to be in Philadelphia, November 4th, Brooklyn, November 5th, Cambridge, Massachusetts, November 6th. Uh, and then you head back up to Canada and you go to the uh, the Midwest. Um, so people can look that up wherever they are. Uh, and now, yeah. now, just speaking of that touring, you guys have done a hell of a lot of touring. You talked about having different eras of the band where you were kind of living at different levels of comfortability uh, on the road. Uh, just maybe like a hot couple of, like a handful of um, uh, tour tips for our younger artists just starting out uh, on the road, getting in a van and going on the road, man. Like, what are a couple of things you would recommend that maybe not everyone thinks of? Save money. Save money before doing it so when shit goes awry, you're not fucked. Um, also, van maintenance before and constantly in between tours. Make sure your machine is operating well because there's nothing worse than a van breaking down partway through and you needing to cancel shows. Um, even like the times that we aren't on tour, like we, we still keep up our tour van and drive it around the city just because like i don't want that thing excuse me to fall apart it's too cushy for us driving around the big van on tour so i don't want to go back to like minivanning it or something stupid like that or renting a van so uh i i really do feel like van maintenance is a big big thing um and yeah in, invest if you, if you're not at the level to get hotels and things like that invest in some good sleeping gear even with us getting a hotel like our crew doesn't sleep very well with other people so <laughs> particularly the brothers don't sleep well with others so we we have we invested in some new tour mats some memory foam ones that we're able to sleep on basically any floor and it'll be almost as comfortable as home shy of the fact that you're sleeping in a weird place <laughs> in a weird city on some floor but at least it's going to be as comfortable as it can be and if you're you're at the stage in your career where it's just crashing on other people's floors to to get by which i mean we did for like the first 20 years of being in this band i i really really feel like investing in like some sort of memory memory form thing getting a decent sleeping bag and just being friendly at shows and trying to get places to crash that's the way to do it yeah, yeah, it goes a long way, man. I've been on tours where everybody called up. Everybody had a friend from college somewhere or a band that they had knew from somewhere, and you you figure out something, you crash in someone's basement or something, man, and, and you make it work. 
Um, and I, you know, we, we always have one or two guys sleep in the van too. You know, just 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 make it happen. Um, it is what it is. But uh, be, before I let you go, Jesse, I'm going to ask you the typical heavy hole podcast question that we always leave off with. Um, I'm just going to ask you quickly to recommend some music for the listeners and I. How about one older and one newer release by any artist you like? It could be a demo, an album, an EP, metal, or any other genre. Just uh, something old and something new for us to check out. Oh, man, something old and something new. Um, something new. Let's go with uh, a band that we're playing with in Brooklyn uh, on, on Profound Lore. I, I, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing the name right. Averturn? That record, uh, it's got, um, well, Sam, Sam was, is still in Artificial Brain. He, he's on this record. Um, yeah, that, that, that one's one of my jams from this year, and we're really stoked to play with those guys in Brooklyn. So that, that's one of my 2022 picks, um, for something old. I was just listening, actually, it's, it's queued up right now. Um, what is it, Among the Living? Yeah, I think that's the record. Yeah, Among the Living by Anthrax. More New York City. Wow. I've been just listening. I don't know why I'm listening to that so much right now. Just for some reason, I saw some video on Facebook of them from back in that era, and it just was like, God damn it, that guitar tone. Scott, Scott, is it Scott Ian? Yeah, Scott Ian. Or Ian Scott. No, fuck, I don't even remember his name. Yeah, Scott Ian. Scott Ian, right? Yeah, it's Scott Ian. Him, like, moshing around the stage, just like, made me go god damn that record's so good i'm gonna listen to it now i just can't stop listening to it so <laughs> here we are yeah two new york bands some thrash some classic thrash and some newer arty farty death metal all right man appreciate that man yeah anthrax man hit me out of left field with that i'm not a huge anthrax guy uh but the videos do look like they have a lot of fun i'll give you that Dude, I'm not either, if I'm being honest. That record, for some reason, strikes just the right chord. I'm, I was actually telling my partner this last night that, like, with the Four Horsemen of Thrash, like, I'm super particular about a lot of them. Like, Metallica, I only like Ride the Lightning. Hmm. Um, and same, like, Anthrax, it's only among the living. Don't care about any of the other records. Okay. But for some reason, it's just that right time, that right place, that right tone. And for them, it's that one. All right. Fair enough, man. Appreciate it, man. Um, Jesse uh, Matheson, I appreciate your time uh, and taking the time to talk to me today on the podcast, uh, giving us a little bit of your story. We wish you the best of luck on your upcoming tour. Like we said, your tour of the U.S. and Canada uh, with Frail Body. The listeners can check out where it's coming to a, a location near them. And your new album is Null uh, on Art of Fact Records. Uh, and we, people can expect the Void album, I guess, to be coming out soon, right? Yeah, I think we're planning to do that next year. I want to give it maybe almost a year in between, but if I let it go too far after that, it feels like it's going to lose the effect. So <laughs> it'll be coming next year. Okay, it's all about timing. Uh, and just any parting words for fans of your music and listeners of our show? Buy media, either mm. digital, physical, Go see shows. Now is the time to help support the artists that you enjoy listening to because it, it really goes that extra mile. Um, especially, uh, and we get it, like we're in a weird kind of recessive period right now, and this isn't the first one this band has been through either. 
I remember we actually when we were cutting our teeth back in the U.S. in like 2009-2010, shit sucked then too. <laughs> so we're we're entering a new phase, but at least now we're all a little older. Hopefully, people kept their jobs through the pandemic, and maybe you can still buy a record. So buy records if you like it, if you can afford it. We really appreciate it, and it just keeps this whole shit show going. Uh, exactly and you know there's no reason why fans of underground extreme music music shouldn't consider themselves patrons of the arts yeah i mean i feel it's the the truest most honest form that is still going these days so Uh, agreed man uh jesse matheson thank you so much brother we'll see you on the road hell yeah man thank you for having me But thank you very much to Jesse Matheson of uh, Ken Mode um, for all of that information and for his insight into things. I appreciate that conversation. Um, been seeing seeing those guys around the scene for a long time. We've crossed paths a few times in the past, and I've always been a fan of them. And it's great to have watched them uh, grown into the entity they are now in the music community. Um, uh, really wish them the best of luck on this tour. Try to catch them if you can. Yeah, I uh, saw them open uh, for Russian Circles a few years ago. That was a great show. Oh, pardon my French. No, how, yeah. how, how, was, yeah. how was that? It was awesome. I, I It was at some, I was, it was t- at the tail end of the times when I would actually like drink when I would go out. So I was fucking hammered as shit that Whoa. night. And I don't remember what theater it was. It was myself and Tom Ander who went to some theater in Manhattan and we saw them open for Russian circles, and it was it was really good. All right, a few too many of the old white claws, huh? Oh yeah, a little a little white claw, a little little apple teeny. Yeah, a little mango, action. little mango white claw never hurt anybody. All right, <laughs> slow down. But uh, I, I I heard you have another um, delectable pick for us uh, outside of the beverage realm, though. I always I always try to bring a little something to the table here. Yeah, um, let's. This one again is a. Uh, Sorry. No, Real I was gonna say let's let's right. let's start with the old classic. You brought something old and something new. Yeah, that's that's what I did. This uh is from 1994, which seems to be a um a theme here that I've been uh bringing a lot of records from this year recently. Yeah, uh, it's it's the greatest year. It, that year to me, I mean, it was amazing. So many great records that uh, came out that year. Yeah. But this one in particular, I enjoyed. It's uh, Therion, Symphony Masses, Hodrakon Homegas. Oh, okay. Yes. And that came out on a Swedish label. Um, with the Mega Rock. You remember, you ever hear Mega Rock records? Yeah. Swedish? I think I've read about the name when I read about these bands sometimes, but this is yeah, admittedly. Exactly. It, this is a band I've tried to get. I tried to get into their first album with the kind of Grim Reaper Skull Guy on the cover. Um, Theory on. Of Darkness. Yeah. And that album just, it still hasn't, I haven't absorbed it. I'm not going to say I don't like it. It's just got to be in the right mood. This album was immediately a lot more accessible. It was tighter. There was more dynamics. It kind of like, you know, right. it, 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 it grips you in a little bit. You know, I mean, this it, it was a little less raw, a little bit more refined, but not fully art rock yet, which I know they kind of went down that road later on. 
it's a weird band, man. You know, they, they started out death metal and had a lot of lineup issues. Uh, and then this is the third album. And by the time this album came out, I believe it's Christopher Johnson, who's the main guy. I think he was the only guy, original guy left. I could be wrong. Maybe. I don't remember. Maybe the drum. I, I, I don't, I don't remember, but he was like by this time, third album, the only original guy. And you could see they were taking the, he was taking it in kind of a different direction by this point, a little bit of the operatic kind of stuff started sneaking in a little bit, a little bit, not, not as much as the next album where they really took over, but um, still death metal. I hear some punk in this album too, you know, some punk riffs, rip guitar riffs um, in, in certain points. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff going on and um, I recommend it. Um, again, it's another album, uh, that might have, uh, an issue. Some might have an issue with the, the vocals. And I, I had always not going to say had hated the, the vocals, but they were interesting. And if you remember, we were talking about enchantment on a recent, uh, uh, episode, dance to Marvel naked. And we were talking about that kind of vocal style. And yes, you had mentioned that the, this was, you had alluded to a future recommendation and this was that. And yeah, the vocals kind of in that same ballpark. Yeah. It's, it's got that bellowing quality. And again, it just, the thing about this, if these vocals were maybe in some sort of like very raw hardcore or grindcore band, they would seem a little bit more appropriate. But the refined mm -hmm. quality of the songwriting here um, kind of seems like the vocals are mismatched in a way. Like it almost seems like I, I hate to say this because I, I, I do like this band and respect these guys, but it sounds like they spent more time refining the guitar work and the composition and just kind of thought sure. of the, the vocals as a last, you know, after thing, you know, instead of like, right. it, like less practice on the vocals than on the guitar, really, you know, could could totally be. I mean, I could see that happening. I don't think he writes his own lyrics. I'm not sure where he gets the lyrics. If somebody writes them for him, if they're like historical text I, I honestly never really dived that deep into it even back in the day and i had this album <laughs> then too um i remember when um the next album well after this album came out a single came out maybe in 95 i would guess and it was called the beauty in black and it came out on cd and i think it was nuclear blast by that time it might have got signed a nuclear blast after this record here and it was very operatic and very different. It was a lot of, a lot of, you know, at the keyboards and the female vocals, the female opera vocals and a male opera vocal, which I didn't really dig. And then the record for the album, Theli, was the, was the turning point. Oh, excuse me. No, no, no. Lapaka Cliffoff. That was the album after this that became the symphonic metal sound. The one after that was called Theli. That was the one Dan Swano did. That's, mm -hmm. Also very different. Swano does guest vocals on that too. Awesome heart. Yeah, so I mean, they're you know, and that's kind of where I lost interest in them. I, I feel like this band is a hard band to pin down in terms of their style from album to album. And Definitely. Uh, again, kind of like you know, like you, you know, last week you brought in that Samael. I feel like this is an interesting crossroads of styles for the band. This is where you kind of caught them between the old school metal and the opera symphonic metal, and there was a uh, for me a happy medium between those. Yeah, it was like a, it was like okay, this is probably the end of the road for the extreme metal stuff. So that was the album where it changed basically. 
Yeah, definitely yeah. a cool recommendation, man. An yeah. extremely metal one. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to ask Tom to bring it in. Any final thoughts? No, it's just a another great uh, Swedish uh, release. You know, this uh, great shit comes out of there, as we know. And uh, Pavement Records put out the U.S. version of this. And I, I don't know if they're still if they're still around as a record company, but they they were putting out some good. Uh, very, you know, they were bringing over some good records at the time. When we interviewed Chris Pervelis of Internal Bleeding, we talked a little bit about Pavement Records because mm. Internal Bleeding was with them. Yeah, that was an interesting era. Um, the the Pavement in era the 90s. In, in the nineties. Yeah. They had a lot of they had a lot of different bands. It wasn't really so much like one style of metal, but yeah. But this is this is definitely cool to listen to, and I feel like the listeners, depending on what type of metal you like, you might want to explore Theorion's career after this and before this, and see where where you make the choice. You know what I mean? See where you mm-hmm. fall. All right. Sorry if you hear all that noise outside. Do you hear that banging no, away? No, it's not really. Why? Was it your it's cat? Neighbor, it's a neighbor outside uh, doing doing work with a hammer, some shit across. And he's far away, too. And I, I hear it in my headphones. That's why. <laughs> I don't, he's yeah. working on his house. I'm good. I mean, the listeners know that I regularly, there's trains going by my, my house as I record this. Like, we've had yeah. to edit out particularly loud ones. Um. And uh, you know, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, actually, that the guy that got hit by the train a few weeks ago, somebody, the 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 both, you know, the, the, the guardrails blocking the street were down, blinking lights with the ding, 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 you know, a train is coming. And some guy went around traffic and tried to weave in and out of the, the, the rail, the guardrails, and got his car smashed by the oncoming train. Oh, my God. And stupid fucking idiot. He, they did not live... Th- through that mistake Man. they made yeah they did not live in wow. and, oh. and by the time i looked out the window it sounded like a fender bender like it didn't sound catastrophic it was quick and crunchy you know it was like a fender bender type of sound it was just like and yeah. the, the train had pushed the car maybe like a half mile down the track before the train you know was able to yeah. break itself can't stop yeah. can't stop on a dime with the with a fucking train so it was just the train the body of the train like in the middle of the street blocking both sides of traffic for probably a, f- a few hours and within you know a half hour there were like Suffolk cops, MTA cop. It was the cops were all over the the MTA engineers. You know, it was, it was it was a big scene. You know, they shut it down for like half a day. But um, since then, I feel like the train horns have been louder and more frequent on my block. Yeah, it's it, we. I've had to ask Tom to edit a few out. So don't worry about your neighbor with the um the uh, the, the, the postal <laughs> postal digger yeah. or whatever the fuck. Yeah, he's doing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I planted a few of the old trees the other day for my mom. I was out there with the postal digger. Nice uh, pine trees. Yeah, they, uh, these fucking these fucking people behind my my parents' house, man. They won't stop. But they they, they park all these trucks and they have fucking loud noises. So we want to plant some trees, block it all out. Just just like I try to block out my life with metal. Yeah, but <laughs> but segueing back to the podcast now. Um, 
we just uh, recapped that theory on album. I and now I understand. Speaking of blocking out my life with metal, you also have a fairly new metal release from a classic artist in a way. Uh, yeah, and this is a Ken themed episode. Oh Ken yeah, mode. yeah, so, yeah. Well, you, I, yeah. You, we explained the name Ken mode in the interview. It's kill everyone now mode. Which is uh, from the Henry Rollins Get in the Van book, because um, uh, yep. Rick, you weren't sitting on the interview with me. But um, I, I asked him. I said years ago, you know, when I when we were playing a show with Ken Mode, I, I said to the guy Jesse, I was like, you know, does anyone ever make? Does anyone ever call you Ken? Like they just think you're a singer named Ken Mode. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, from time to time it happens. And you know, I would say, well, at least your name isn't Will Smith. All right, you know, I still got <laughs> it. I, you know, with the name thing. But um, I always wondered that. And then one time. Uh, you know, St. Vitus on their, maybe it was on their Facebook or whatever. They used to, they used to have the calendar of, of events for the month and they would have one picture of an artist. One time, uh, I was very fortunate. They had a picture of me from one of my bands up there, but they, it was just the calendar printed. So it said Ken mode. And, and I showed my mother and she's like, who's Ken? Who's this guy? Ken? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, that, they probably get that from time to time. Um, yeah. When you pick, when you pick your name with a man, a gentleman's, uh, first name, in your band name, yeah, it's like Hootie and the Blowfish. That's Hootie, right? Oh you know? boy, oh boy, yeah. Or Will, or when you have a, a death metal band and your singer's Will Smith. You know, there's like thir- <laughs> there's there, there's like thirteen or fourteen William Smiths in metal archives. I'm the only one that goes by Will Smith, man. It must, <laughs> I must have got knocked in the head. But anyway, tell me about this other Ken. Well, this is Ken Nardi from formerly of Anacrusis. Uh, to for me, a great. Uh, proggy thrash band from the late 80s to mid 90s. Underrated. Um, Anacrusis, yeah. just for the listeners, I feel like Anacrusis itself is a history lesson they should go down because it's it's an underrated band that for some reason isn't like they, you know, they they were, what, what label were they? Were they like Roadrunner or? Metal Blade. Metal Blade. Yeah, they were, they were on a big label. They got out yeah. there. They have some really classic material and I just don't hear their name brought up much. Four albums. Um, the last two kind of got pushed, I guess, hard. I don't know. The last two were the ones you would see more. Uh, they were on Metal Blade, I think, from the beginning, maybe from the second album. But anyway, Manic Impressions is the third album, which is a great album. And uh, Screams and Whispers is fucking awesome record, which I recommend. Um, I saw them on that tour right before they broke up. So I was lucky to see them and Studio One in New- Newark, which no longer exists. Well, Newark exists, but Studio One no <laughs> longer exists for now. Uh, yeah, that was a cool club. That was like the f- I've talked about it on this show. That was the uh, Cathedral, Merciful Fate, Anna Cruz's Flotsam and Jetsam show. The first show really I went to after I got my my driver's license. So I was like, yeah, this is what metal show is like. This is what it's all about. So they broke up shortly thereafter, and I I guess he put out a record uh, early in the 2010s which i didn't i was not aware of uh and um this new album here uh, it's called trauma came out 2022 and if you like anacrusis if you like screams and whispers era anacrusis the last album this fucking album sounds like it it continues that album and it's um it's it's fucking awesome so in my opinion i I love this album uh and and it's a double it's a double cd and the uh the other disc has um uh re re uh remakes of old mana Cruces songs 
including my favorite Anna Cruz song, Release. So yeah, uh, the first disc is the new album, and the second disc is uh, new versions. That's that's awesome, man. I, and this was really cool. You put you put me on Anacrusis a while ago, and I'm still not you know 100 percent familiar with everything they've done. Now, when you hear that it's a solo album, you would expect it to maybe deviate, but this is like very solid metal for mm-hmm. fans of that that kind of niche of progressive and melodic thrash uh, from the from the early 90s. I noticed some of the melodies and some of the things going on reminded me a little bit of what what Queensryche is doing. Obviously, I have Queensryche on the brain, but um, Queensryche's latest album, which I'm going to talk about on an upcoming episode, um, really nailed it and, and sent it home for, for fans. They're doing a lot of fan service nowadays, which as a Queensryche fan, I'm, I have no problem with. But I'm just making the point that this album brought a lot of those really cool, nostalgic, uh, heavy metal tones and melodies and and vibes for me man you know there's something there's something about it that's metal he's he's unabashedly going for um a a, a very bombastic uh uh, classic sound you know what i mean like this is something for your fans of maybe i don't know your classic megadeth albums your judas priest um it's 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 just metal metal to the core you know there's not really not much else i could say about it but this like this is just one of those great heavy metal albums um if you're if you're looking for guitars if you're looking for overall composition if you're looking for something you could drive around to this this is a beautiful album yeah man i love that title track Uh, i recommend checking out the album but after hearing that title track which i think is track three uh that song stays in my head on a loop pretty much yeah catchy uh, catchy yeah, hooky it's catchy stuff that's what i mean man it's it's not too outside the box but it is very unique it has a lot of personality um but it's it, it's just really good metal you could vibe to man you know and anna crucis uh and i really regret not going to this i think it was 2019 or 2018 they reformed for a live and they're from st louis so uh, Ken Nardi got every member that ever, I believe, I could be talking out of my ass, but I think huh. this is accurate. Every member that ever appeared on any Anna Cruz's album. And then they all came that evening and reformed and played those songs live uh, in the lineup of those records. Right. So like. That is a pretty for, amazing yeah, feat. It was like a very evening of Anna Cruces celebrating Anna Cruces. And, and it was a huge, I think it was recorded and filmed and all that, which uh, I did. I did not check out stupid. Mm. It's just some things about me where it's like my favorite bands put shit out and it takes me a few years to get to it. I don't know why that is with me, but there's so it's, much it's shit out there and something like that too. If you've heard all the original albums, I can see why that gets backburnered um, behind, you know, uh, new, new material by other bands and shit like that. You know what I mean, man? Like as good as it could be a live album is still a live album. Yeah. And it, it was know. a thing where I wish I was there. Like I wish I was standing in this club watching that instead of, you know, watching it on YouTube or something like that. Maybe that's why I put her off kind of, deal but um yeah so uh, that was cool that he did that and i was hoping um at that time i was like man maybe anna crucis will get back together but who you know i don't think so but this is just as good so he's the dude so that's it's it's all good man and it came with uh it was released on dive bomb records which is a cool label um and it came with the autographed uh um 
album cover uh, all right well so yeah that's pretty cool man rick nice little package supporting the you scene know? buying the merch i like that yeah, yeah double disc jewel case good to go okay so that was that what, what was the guy's name ken ken nardi ken with two n's n-a-r-d-i ken nardi's new solo album what was the album called trauma trauma and no no quinky dink again uh we're not trying to we're not trying to play a game with ken mode but um uh, i didn't know you were going to recommend that man uh yeah, yeah. tom roll it Right, man. So Ken Nardi, uh, we appreciate you bringing that. that th- those two recommendations, actually, Rick. Um, sure, yeah, man. Something old and something new. Both very metal. Both a lot going on. A lot of dynamic songwriting, but coming from different places. Um, now, at the top, you were talking a little bit about Iron Maiden. You saw that Iron Maiden concert recently. Yeah. Two episodes ago, I had Terrell in here, and we recapped our Judas Priest Queensryche Odyssey on the South Shore of Long Island. Uh, big shout to Junior, awesome dude. It it was something else. Um, uh, I attended another concert here in Huntington. I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast. I know Terrell went to the New Jersey version of the Cavalera Brothers mm. performing "Beneath the Remains" and "Arise," and they squeezed in a few other hits, man. Um, you didn't get to see that, right? No, it's something I, I was talking about. I wish I could have, you know, I'm going to go see, but I didn't. And I wish I would have, but yeah. That Iron awesome. Maiden was the day after Judas Priest. I wish I could have mm-hmm. gone to that, but I, you know, I, you, can't, you can't catch them all, man. It's not Pokemon mm-hmm. out here with the metal shows. But uh, that Cavalier, that was some fucking concert, man. Nice. That was really, it was at the Paramount Theater in Huntington. So obviously it was a little pricey. Uh, not too bad, though. And what I liked about it, it wasn't packed in tight like sardines. Okay. There was a big crowd, but it had it felt like you were at Maryland Death Fest, where if you wanted to, um, you know, there was, there was enough people there where there was a pit, there was people up front, there was energy. But if you wanted to maybe get a drink and hang around the outside, you know, of, of the crowd for a minute or two and catch your breath, that was totally uh, available. You know what I mean? It was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a big guy. I don't go in the mosh pits much anymore. You know what I mean? I, I feel you, bro. <laughs> Some, somebody knocks my glasses off. Next thing, it's it's a big mess. You know, next thing I'm like a beached whale looking for my glasses. Um, but I I I enjoyed it. I there's allegations. I'm not going to confirm or deny that I got pretty drunk with Mike from uh, Laceration. Um, Laceration, the classic Long Island band. I know there's another one now. Shout out to them anyway. Uh, Mike El Diablo from Laceration and Mike from Paragon Records, Zanchel Dog himself. Oh, shout out to Zanchel Dog. Zanchel Dog was in the building um, with a bunch of OGs. There, there was, you know what was great about that Cavalera uh, show was um, there was a bunch of like the old school Long Island guys, like the guys who right. look like they're just like regular dudes with jobs and families now, but they're out there raging. You know what I mean? It's it's nice nice to see that sometimes. You got to live your life, you know. Yeah, dudes, uh, dudes, my right about my age, uh, maybe a little <laughs> older. I'm forty. I just turned forty two, man. They're my age oh, too. Man. But yeah, it would no, it was a good show, man. Um, a lot of people. I know my feeling was this is the closest we're ever gonna get because I've been waiting since pretty much since because I got 
kind of Sepultura right before Roots came out in the '90s when I was in high school. Oh, you know, yeah. I, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you. You know, so yeah, it's yeah, like, of course, of I course. never got to see that. And when Roots came out, now I can kind of listen to Roots on a spectator level and appreciate it a little bit more. But Roots was not the move for me when I was in high school. I was into Arise. I was Chaos AD. I thought was a great album. Uh, but Roots just leaned a little bit too much into the groove for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, so I started going backwards on Sepultura and got into schizophrenia and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and, and you know, mm-hmm. here we are. I never thought and I always wanted, ever since I was a teenager, we would see that original lineup. Now, obviously, Andreas Kisser and Paulo Jr. are nowhere to be found with this Cavalera thing. But to have the two brothers up there playing those old school songs was probably the closest we're ever going to get to that. Yeah, and that's as I, good as you're going to get. I, so there, and there were many years where the big thing was that the two brothers were, I guess, feuding um, yeah. and didn't work with one another. So we, I never thought we'd get to see that. That was like great. It was heartwarming. Uh, in this age and this climate nowadays where metal, ex- especially extreme metal from the 80s and 90s is getting its due and the younger generation are doing their homework. And, you know, I saw a lot as as much as I saw the old dudes like you and me in there, I saw a lot of people in their 20s, uh, a lot of younger people enjoying it and, and listening to the music. And, you know, that and that's great, man. I have no problem with that. I'm not going to be the stingy old guy on that. It was it filled out the crowd and it was good to see those guys. Uh, up there, they were playing songs up there that they probably wrote when they were 15, 16 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and those, those guys are old, older, older than us. So, uh, you know, it it was amazing. They even now I'm going to say again, there's allegations. I got a little drunk, but they, I, I, if I'm not mistaken at the end, they did a medley. They brought back and did like a medley of songs they had already played from beneath the remains and arise. You know what I mean? It was, so it was like, they were, Interesting. that would have been a little bit too much had I not been drinking, you know, if I, if I was or wasn't, but, um, but a good night, man, they really, I really recommend you go check that out. It's a, it's a piece of history. It may not be the, the actual Sepultura lineup or whatever, but that's the closest you're going to get to it. And they were in form. Max Cavalera still has the voice. Uh, which is impressive too, you know, for a guy who plays guitar and sings. He's still still out there. Igor obviously still out, still up there doing his thing, man. It was a great show. Sounds good, man. Those are uh, those are some of my uh, those are two of my favorite albums, of course, as well. Yeah, everybody, you know, you can't go wrong. People get a little picky about Chaos AD. I think that they. Yeah, I do. They had one foot in the Pantera groove. Yeah, we like hardcore now territory, but it wasn't. There was a, it was a, it was a diverse album with a lot of sounds. You know what I mean. Whereas sure. Roots to me was like a new metal album that was dressed up in these kind of like more uh, tribal and indigenous elements. You know what I mean. But it was mm-hmm. it was a new metal album, really. You know, with with so obviously some of this like indigenous thing. You know, making it more interesting. But as a metalhead, you listen to it and you're like, this is a nice art project, but. You know, I mean, like, seriously, are you going to listen to it in the car? I don't know. A lot of people did. No. They, they made more money off of that album and toured oh. more off it than I will ever see in my sure. life. So that, I, that was a big deal. You know, I remember first time I ever heard Roots. Oh, I was in uh, Five Towns College. Shout out to Dix Hills, Long Island, baby. And I was sitting there in my room and someone brought in Sepultura Roots. I said, and they put it on. I said, what the fuck is this? Get this shit off my stereo <laughs> and I put on my dying bride. 
<laughs> I love that. You, I love that you switched it up with my dying right. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I owned Roots. I tried to get into it. I, you know, and I want to give it a fair shake nowadays. But that's it. they put out a really good double live album, and I think I'm not. I'm not ribbing you here. I think it was called Under the Gray Skies. Um, what, what who Sepultura put it out Sepul- or the Cavalera? Sepul- uh, no, the Sep like the original Sepultura lineup. It might have been one of the last things um they they ever did but it's a really good live album there's i have a few Sounds awesome i have a few sepultura allegedly sepultura live bootlegs i've collected over the years but th- this was like probably the best live album um i think i want to say it was that what do they have that uh yeah under a pale gray sky is the name of the album oh, and okay. i believe yeah, it was recorded right. in right. england at that what do they have donnington festival um yeah Oh no, I'm wrong. It was recorded in the Brixton Academy, London, on December sixteenth, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. So that's very much the end, right there. Yeah, and um, yeah, very much the end. But it was, it's a great live record if you like Sepultura. That's that's all I'll add, man. That's cool that they were still firing on all cylinders, even though there was definitely turmoil going on. You know, a lot of times in bands, it's not necessarily the music or the performance aspect. Uh, sometimes it's not even the money. Um, you know, sometimes it's just bad blood between people. And uh, whether or not it'll ever be resolved, uh, only time will tell. Um, but on that note, Rick, uh, only time will tell if you're going to return again to the Heavy Hole Podcast. So I thank you for coming on today. <laughs> <laughs> anytime you need me man with those recommendations buddy i'm just kidding man uh and shout out to all of our other um uh, guest co-hosts shout out to terrell and sam and dave uh tom and justin always helping me with the production behind the scenes man the show would not exist without tom and justin continuing to help me we'll get them back on for the listeners too we know you miss those guys um and everybody else who's been helping us out jesse uh from ken mode uh and everyone else uh in- involved in ken mode we wish you the best of luck on tour um go catch them if you can in, in their air in your area and please listen to these recommendations let us know what you think um let us know if you want to go further into theory on or if this is too much uh for you for you as it is i don't know man or anacrusis rick rick just gave you two wormholes into sick deep dives today too so don't just listen to those for albums sure. if you have a few hours to yourself on the edible definitely get into the theory on um catalog which also i'd have to go back into my notes but we interviewed sarah jezebel diva formerly of Cradle of Filth, and I, she did perform live with Therion and toured with them and talked about that during the interview. I don't okay. I don't recall. That, that at the mo- yeah, at, the, at right. the moment, I can't recall if she recorded an album with them or not, but um, regardless. I do remember yeah. that. That was a great interview, man. She, she was that great. That was a really good interview. Shout, shout out to Sarah Jezebel Diva and her current project, Torn Between Two Worlds. She did an Adele cover. You know Adele, the pop singer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, they did an Adele, and you know, I mean, she she ripped it, man. Um, uh, I would love to see Sarah Jezebel Diva blow up and and um, uh, maybe even tour, come to the states or something like that. Great singer with a great story. Go back and check that out, and um, you get a little more inside information on theory on. Uh, by the way, too, man. So, um, shout out to everybody, man. You can check us out on the social medias and the Patreon and all that stuff. We appreciate you supporting Heavy Hole Podcast out there and bearing with us week to week. Like I said, as I get a little bit busier with the bands and friends are getting married, friends are getting people pregnant. Um, it's tougher for us to uh, provide extra content and bonuses, but we're getting we're, we're getting into it out here, and we have some plans to expand the platform in the future. As you see, I've brought in uh, my illustrious uh, guest hosts here and there. I got Rick on board as as well as some other team 
team members. Um, and we're doing stuff behind the scenes, too. We're actually going to be on the road now. When you listen to this episode, if you are in Pennsylvania or Baltimore or tennis, especially Tennessee, get ready because starting next week, Reeking Aura is going to be out supporting Carrion Vale. Uh, and half. Uh, we're going to be going to Pitts. We're going to be going to Philadelphia to Kung Fu Necktie on the eighth. Uh, we're going to be going to Baltimore, Maryland, the Shamrock Inn on the ninth. Uh, then we're doing two days in Tennessee. Um, shout out to my man Andrew out there. We're going to be doing two two days in Tennessee. Uh, uh, the end in Nashville, Tennessee on the tenth, and the Brickyard in Knoxville, Tennessee on the eleventh. So we got you covered all over Tennessee. Ending things at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Shred Shed. Uh, shout out to our friend Vicky up there and everybody else we know in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're looking forward to that. We're going to have some hot merch. We got those bright green uh, hoodies so you can walk out in traffic, you know, after you ate edibles or whatever you did. Nobody's going to hit you anyway, hopefully. The uh, <clears throat> the hoodie I sent to Australia is going to arrive in the gentleman's mailbox today, according to uh, the website. So those hoodies are going out all over the world right now. There's one. I think this is this might be from uh, the old uh, Brooklyn, New York. Because Chris, shout out to Chris Basile of um, Pyrexia. He he sent me that. That's just that's uh, the homie Julian out there. Oh right. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. The homie, rocking them. Yeah, the homie Julian last night representing in oh, Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so big shout out to him, man. Um, look at look at look at look at the way that pops in the. I don't know if you can yeah, see the, the the like the black light oh. from the club, man. Yeah, you wear these wear these green uh, hoodies that we got in the black light. Um, don't. Don't don't get don't spill any substances on them. That would be weird. Uh, but, but yeah, look, follow us on IG and Facebook. We got the merch. We're pumping it out. We got some new artwork. Uh, you know, we're really busy behind the scenes, man. Uh, Rick, any final shout outs or any news about any of your projects or anything, man? Uh, let's see. No, nothing going on here. Uh, just like I said, as soon as we get back from tour, I'm going to be recording vocals, finishing up the Gray Skies album. Probably at that time, I'll I'll also announce the two or so guest um, musicians that are going to appear on the album. And there's some, uh, some, some pretty nice people that will do that. So yeah, I, I look forward to sharing that down the line. All right. Shout out to Mariah Carey, man. I hope she makes it on, man. Another, yeah, another Long Island artist. <laughs> we're doing a Christmas song. All right. The, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, uh, yeah. Great snow's falling, man. I love <laughs> For it. For the Christmas. All right, man. Listen, come see us out on tour. Uh, buy, buy a beer. We're going to, we're allegedly going to need weed out there, Rick. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's bringing anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get caught by the Tennessee state troopers out there. Oh, puff, Jesus, puffing, on, puffing on some of that, uh, um, uh, yubba wubba cherry dank. All right. Or whatever you got, um, yeah. we don't care. They don't take kindly to New Yorkers in their in their jails. Uh, from what I hear, I mean, you know, <laughs> locked up in a Tennessee jail. You're from New York, oh yeah. What is Sal? Sal tell you that? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. He 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 tells me the stories, but he gives me all the inside scoop on the uh, jails. The yeah, regions. big shout, to, big shout to our homie Sal. He's always out there on one. <laughs> We'll just cut it there before we start talking about Sal again. Yeah, which That's, definitely can happen. 